Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek podcast that is humbled and awed by the outpouring of support that our supporters gave us in the last couple of weeks for the Max Fun Drive. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Ben, we're humbled, we're awed, we're recording this episode two weeks early, so <laughs> yeah. hopefully all went according to plan. It's going to be the honor system. We are going to assume that our listeners came out in a big way to support the show, but uh, <laughs> we have no way of knowing that right now. So if we're you like, didn't, you should be fucking ashamed of yourselves. We're like parents who came home from work, and uh, we have not seen the mess that the kids have made, and so we're just being really nice to the kids. When we pulled up, I could have sworn the house was completely trashed. Negative visualization, Jerry. Explains a lot about where you're at. When that bowling ball comes off the top shelf of the uh, closet and hits us in the head, (laughs) you're going to be in big, big trouble. Uh, Ben, speaking of overstuffed things, uh, I went to, I took a visit to our P.O. box, and I found couple of packages in there. Would you like me to tell you what they are? Just hate mail, right? It's just like, I hate pledge time. Fuck you. <laughs> like, you didn't have to pay for postage to do that. <laughs> yeah, you could have just sent us an email. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. I went to the box, and it was stuffed with two whole packages. Ben, you want me to open those up? Open them shits. The first one is hilariously postmarked from the Polar Region. (laughs) Uh, The Polar Region does not have a zip code that I know of. Hmm. Uh, And inside... Whoa. Inside what we have are uh, a couple of Adidas wristbands and... Adidas headbands with isolinear chips. Whoa, isolinear chips on them. And this appears to be from the fitness community that is known as Jim Shimoda. Oh man, hashtag Jim Shimoda tearing it up on the internet. I really love that the friends of DeSoto have embraced Jim Shimoda and they're using it to, you know, get fit and stay motivated and do all their New Year's resolutions. It's super cool to see. This is a a package sent from all 182 of the Jim Shimoda rats, Ben. No Uh, shit. Please accept these modest gifts as a thank you for inspiring the friends of DeSoto to support one another in their physical and mental health through the Facebook group Jim Shimoda. From February onwards, we've encouraged each other at all levels of fitness to meet personal goals and just post about it. It can be anything from Wharf Calisthenics, Troy and Beverly Jazzercise, or even Ambo Jitsu. (laughs) You'll find in this care package your very own isolinear chips, no sweat required, as well as some sweatbands. We humbly ask for you to release a second run of the coveted Jim Shimoda shirts. Man. We acknowledge this is naked bribery. In many cases, literally, but because so many of our members lack a shirt to wear, uh, our group is eager to represent who we are as we stack those chips in order to live long and prosper. Thank you for your consideration. Wow. Jim Shimoda rats with a, with a bribe and an appeal. What do you think, Adam? I think that... So we wanted to 
do that as a limited run because we felt like it would just be like it's available for this period of time and if we brought if we if we brought it back like nobody would ever believe us if we ever did a limited run of anything ever again right and i think the way that we can get out of that is maybe through the production of a a second edition of the right Shimoto like it's a different shirt. color so you know that it's the second run right right um, uh, that would that would mean not lying. I mean, it could even have a slightly different design for all I know. But uh, I do definitely want to want to hook up our Jim Shimoda rats. Yeah. Uh, with a way for them to be uh, explicitly prideful. Well, Jim Shimoda is one of the greatest things that we've ever done. Like most of the greatest things we've ever done, it was just a total incidental throwaway piece of dialogue by one of us <laughs> that really took off. Why don't we do this? Starting sometime soon. We will do a second, different color Jim Shimoda tank top and t-shirt run. We'll do a better job of promoting it this time, because I think one thing that we fucked up last time is that we didn't really make it clear that it was actually for sale. Or that it was in danger of ending. I, I remember being caught by surprise the moment the, the sale ended, and I had planned on hyping the last hours of that, so this time we'll be better. This time we'll be better. We learned a lot from the last time. This time we'll be better. Uh, could be the greatest gen motto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll uh, do our best to have a new Jim Shimoda shirt. That care package changed my mind on that issue, and uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, that it appears the bribery worked. Uh, keep on pumping, Jim Shimoda rats. <laughs> Pump it up and pump it out second package comes from Scott he's from New Lenox Illinois and he has sent oh he sent uh, Star Trek game cards to us Uh, these are the uh, these are the game cards the OG game cards oh nice like the uh, collectible card game that we play war with the collectible card game that we play war with are they and, uh, uh, are they the white border joints? We have two white borders and a black border. The black border is Kevin Uxbridge. Wow. Uh, we have a white border Hoosnock ship and a white border USS Hood. Nice. That's what you call all killer, no filler. I think that on at one of our tour stops on our tour last year, somebody gave us each a loaded deck of customizable card game cards that had like everything we'd ever made jokes about in <laughs> one deck. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty fun. Uh, there's a letter here from Scott that uh, that says, I remember back in last April, I just discovered Sawbones, uh, which is another Max Fun show. Great show. Uh, and I kept hearing this awful promo for what sounded <laughs> like an absolutely terrible Star Trek show. <laughs> However, hearing that same promo wore me down little by little, the way Bashir hopes to wear Dax down. Just to be clear, you guys were Bashir. It says in parentheses, and unlike the Bashir Dax connection, I actually gave it a try. I was hooked. <laughs> I'm one of those weirdos who listens to podcasts multiple times through, and I think I'm on run four or five of your show since oh last April. I just can't get enough. Wow. As a token of my esteem, I have decided to make an attempt to tip the scales of war. Enclosed, we will, you will find the ultimate assignment, the USS Hood. And also uh, cards for the Hoosnock ship and Kevin Uxbridge. I'm sorry I could not manage to send a second one to ensure the balance brought on by uh, <laughs> by mutually assured Uxbridge. 
<laughs> what fun could that be? Fun. Someone gets to press the big red button and we'll make good pod. Uh, my only request is these cards be shared in a fair manner. You guys can decide who gets what ship, but I think it would be the most fun if he used an RNG to decide who gets the Uxbridge. Thanks for the pod. May there be many more Star Treks in your future. Love, Scott. Glad that we wore Scott down. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> wow, well, our thanks to uh, Scott from New Lenox and those Jim Shimoda rats working out from within the polar region. Mm. Uh, if you would like to send us a that's bribe. That's Kegels, right? Is that what that's called? Yeah. When you uh, work you out like the to- polar region. <laughs> like to send us a bribe or anything else uh our p.o box is easy to get i think you just send us a tweet or look for it on the facebook page well adam do you want to get into the stone cold whodunit that we came here to talk about today yeah the colombo of star trek episodes let's do it ben season two episode eight necessary evil The opening shot is in a uh, like a candle lit room with a storm raging outside the window. A woman in a white dress telling Quark, "I didn't kill him, you know. A lot of people believed it was me. That shapeshifter thought so." This is a real film noir situation. The beautiful lady saying she's innocent of a terrible crime. And a dumb detective <laughs> trying to figure out what the truth is. That's Quark. This really reads as a Quark episode from Jump. And I was a little I was a little exhausted of Quark. I mean, sure. despite our good feelings about our the last episode, generally, I was like, come on. Like, do we really need two fucking Quark episodes back to back like this? I mean, whose show is this? Yeah, give me a break. This lady has like the most... Most interesting Bajoran earring we've seen so far. It's very modern looking compared to your average Kira or Ro. Uh, did she look familiar to you at all, Ben? This lady? Yeah. No. Should she have? Yeah. Uh, she is uh, under far less makeup than she was in the TNG episode, The Game. She was... Uh, really? She was the lead antagonist in that episode. She was, uh, she's the one who, who rolled around with Riker on Risa and then came back in her own ship to take over the entrepreneur. Damn. She's sort of I, the lead gamer. She had, uh, she had a shock of red hair in that, if I yeah. remember correctly. Yeah. I feel like that, uh, that red hair just was so distracting that I, I was just looking for that. Her face loaf in that game episode uh, really obscured how really pretty she is. Yeah. That Bajoran nose, you can uh, you can put that on anybody and they still look great. It's true. So she is after a lockbox. An ironclad lockbox. Inside a wall on Deep Space Nine. And she, she uh, puts this to Quirk. Like, pull a caper, go steal that, that lockbox and bring it back to me. And uh, Quark is nothing if not up for a caper, so uh, he promises to do it. For reasons we may not ever know. (laughs) Uh, I mean, she's going to pay him. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that helps. Yeah. (laughs) She's stacking that lat. 
And Cork is sprung on that latinum. Yeah, like much more than on her, even. He sprung on that lat. Back on Deep Space Nine, Odo is closing up shop in the second of two episodes in a row that depict such a closure of the promenade. Yeah, what the hell? They must be setting something up. What are the... What are the hours of closure? Like, is there last call, and then it's closed for a while, and then it opens up for breakfast? The replimat should be 24-7, right? It's just fucking replicators. That doesn't depend on an employee. Yeah. I would be super pissed if I were hungry and there was no place to get a burrito at any hour. Like, you need a bodega. Say it with me. Bodegas. You gotta accommodate the people that are on this on this station that don't have the same internal clock as everybody else. This is one right. thing our uh, our good buddy John Roderick has been talking about a lot lately is the uh, the difficulty in rewiring your body's own signals about when sleep should be happening. Like we learned impossible. in Star Trek VI, Ben, not everyone keeps their internal clock in the same place. <laughs> yeah, Roderick, for example, keeps his in his knee. Right. <laughs> Odo has been ordered by Station Commander Sisko to... Uh, start to keep a police blotter in the form of a security log. So uh, he's uh, he's monologuing the the security log as he walks around, and it's um, it's basically his kind of salty ass opinion of the idea of keeping a log at all, which he doesn't agree with. He doesn't like the uh, the human tendency to keep <laughs> records and uh, and uh, write things down. Odo uh, records a personal log like a hostage recording a ransom video. He's yeah. like, uh, my name is Odo. Uh, it, it's Tuesday. I'm being January treated 20- very well. <laughs> <laughs> I like that this is happening mostly because Odo has been a cipher from the start. And any attempt by the show to draw him out in any, in any way that's constructive, I think, is good. It's fun like to it, get inside it, of his head. His gooey little yeah. head. <laughs> yeah. He thinks he's got a mind like a steel trap. We know he's got a mind like oozing honey. Yeah, that, that sweet, sweet local honey that is <laughs> Odo's head. So presumably he uh, steps out and uh, slides himself into that bucket and out pop rum and quark. Pulling the, the caper of the century, breaking into the uh one of the stores on the promenade and uh there's some fun stuff where rom turns out to be like better at breaking into shit than cork is because cork doesn't always give rom leave to open up the storeroom at the bar and so rom has developed like lock breaking skills because of that because sometimes he needs to restock this scene really caught my attention because it's a warner and it's almost a minute long did you notice that? I didn't notice that. Uh, man, I've uh, I I just watched the movie Atomic Blonde mm-hmm. uh, the other day, which is almost totally unremarkable aside from an amazing oneer that involves Charlize Theron kicking like seventy five people's asses. <laughs> That's and, fun. And it's like it like goes from like the sixth floor of a building and into a car and like through the streets of Berlin, and fun. it's all one uninterrupted shot. It's really great, but uh, yeah, this uh, this I did not notice. 
but I should have. It was such a unique thing that uh, it made me want to look up who directed the episode. It's a guy named Jim Conway. And I know how much we don't like to do research, but I looked into his Star Trek credits. Yeah. And he has directed some heavy eps. He did Duet. Whoa. And he also he did uh, he did three eps in TNG. He did Justice, The Neutral Zone, and Frame of Mind, which were all very unique looking episodes. Yeah, no shit. So this guy uh, this guy's kind of a dude to watch out for. He's going to be directing five more eps of Deep Space Nine going forward. And I know uh, personally, I kind of want to look out for those. I wonder how much he had to do with the costume decisions in Justice. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but in the way that uh, in the way that I I really wrote for Rob Bowman in those early TNG eps, yeah, I want to look out for these Jim Conway eps as I wanna, they come. I want to either do a a long take in this episode, or like, could we consider putting the Ferengi in some slightly more nuck revealing? <laughs> no, uh, okay, we'll do the long take. We'll do the long take. Like he just wears one of the Edo uniforms to set. <laughs> it's very comfortable. <laughs> no shit, Jim. It looks very comfortable. They pull away this wall panel. There behind it is this strong box. They take it back to the bar. And and because Quark is so... uh, is such an avaricious character, he can't help but open it up and see what's inside it. Like the lady... The lady that gave him the gig was very very specific that this is not a valuable object in this. It's something of sentimental value to her. Uh, she wants this. She wants this strong box back because she has a sentimental connection to the contents. And Cork doesn't believe that. He opens it up, and it's a piece of paper. And we get to see like Bajoran handwriting on this piece of paper. Right. It, it's funny because they like they refer to letters you know like the first name started with a c and ended with an o (laughs) but i guess uh that's the universal translator translating the name for bajoran letters into names for roman letters right (laughs) like it's definitely not the roman alphabet on there i really like this detail because i mean if you were to just sit down and make up a written alphabet I think you'd start repeating things after like 10 characters, but this really looks like its own language. Yeah. It looks legitimate in a way that definitely shows that some effort was was put in here. It's a cool piece of production design. And um, no sooner have they started to take a look at this list than uh, a guy who was kind of lurking in the shadows in the uh, white dress lady's house comes into the bar, you know, Cork is saying, like, hey, dog, uh, we're closed. You got to clear out. And uh, the guy blasts him. And there's a very fun wire stunt where Quark, like, Quark keeps getting blasted back. That's kind of a, a move that keeps happening to him. Quark's like, uh, I don't know what you're doing here, but the place is closed. And the guy just affixes the jerk cable to uh, Cork's <laughs> to clothing. <laughs> Get your hands off of me, man. I'll pour you a drink. What are you doing back there? (laughs) 
It's a really fun piece of cutting too. I watched this this section of the episode a couple of times because they cut to the phaser blast. Yeah, and, and it like and lights up Quirk's face and he yeah, looks stunned. You need it to light up his face so it obscures the stunt guy. Right. But there's a there's a good piece of stagecraft happening here. Yeah. It's, it's worth some scrutiny. It's fun. Yeah. Rom comes back from uh, whatever he's doing and finds Quirk on the floor. <laughs> what is Rom doing? I don't know. Anytime. Yeah, who knows? I'm sure that there's something in the script about why he went away, but <laughs> who's to say? And uh, and he starts screaming bloody murder that his brother is dead. Somebody help! My brother's been killed! It appears for a time that Quark is not in great shape. Like, uh, he appears dead. Medically, uh, Bashir is struggling to stabilize his life signs. Uh, they they get him into six bay, and they're barely able to do that, but his prognosis is not good. It's going to be more of a longer-term thing than people will hope. And so he spends most of the episode uh, comatose in, yeah. six, in six bay. Yeah, because he's the only person that got a look at the guy that shot him, and he's the only person that got a real good look at the list. So it's like you kind of have to take him out of the story for the story to be interesting at this point. Right. Um, but yeah, like the, and, and it's weird. Like the, the station doesn't have a lot it can do in this eventuality. Like they try to delay ships from leaving because the, you know, the assailant must have been, you know, had a plan to get off the station, but they can't delay them forever. And so they don't have a an unlimited amount of authority to track down the killer, you know. They sure don't. I mean, it's the same the same rules that prevent them from uh, from tracking down the killer are the same ones that prevent cameras from being put up in quarks. There's a there's a limitation here, <laughs> right? That security people have. And Odo is is uh, putting the screws to Rom really quickly because Rom has a ton of established motive. Like Rom has already attempted to kill. Quark a bunch of times so i love how that's never brought up as a reason (laughs) it's only that he stands to gain from quark's death in terms of uh of quark leaving the bar to him but in this case ram is like pretty convincingly not at fault and cisco even like intervenes while odo is interrogating him and goes come on dude the guy is the dad of my son's best friend can you do at least a little bit of you know, of courtesy based upon that. And uh, it winds up being Cisco that uh, that gets Rom to admit that they did in fact have something that the killer, that the would-be killer wanted, which is a list. Welcome back to the show, Ben Cisco. Uh, <laughs> also exit stage right, Ben Cisco. I think this is the last you see of him. Yeah. He's only seen for a couple of eps. It's so weird. He's, I mean, like this happened to Kira a few episodes ago too, right? Where she just like kind of had a line or two and then wasn't in the episode. She they was, give she, Keiko she was there more to story be... courtesy than they give Ben Cisco. Like he never gets a write-off. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. And also Sirak Lofton, like how long has it been since we've seen that person whose name is in the credit package 
Whereas Rom, we see all the time, and he's fucking not in the credit package. It's not that they're instrumental to either of these apps, but their perspective would be welcome. Right, and illustrative of other people's motivations and what's going on. Right. This It's not long before Rom has admitted that, in fact, he and Quark broke into a shop and stole this strong box that had this list in it, and that's why Quark got gatted. Who sucks, y'all? So... He and Odo head over to the scene of the crime, and there's a fun cut where they, uh, you know, Ram offers to break the lock again, and Odo knows the password, and we cut to the other side, and all of the color temperature has changed, and the door swings open, and uh, Odo is standing there in like a Nehru jacket, and there's a bunch of Cardassians around, and there is a ton of... Like, they've really smoked up the the set, so there's a ton of atmospheric perspective in all the scenes. It's clear that this is a different time, but the same place. It's a very elegant way to have made that transition. I think it's it's great. I expected uh, Odo to goo through the chain link. Did you expect that? Yeah. Like, what does he need a door for? Yeah, I totally, I was totally predicting that too. Wouldn't Um, you be unnecessarily gooing through things all the time if you could? Yeah, he he goos through and then like has to change the angle of the gun so that it can also come through. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I really like the set design uh, of past Deep Space Nine as Terok Noir. I think... uh, like you say, it's so atmospheric and interesting. It's more than just a, a color temperature thing. It's, it is a really dark place. It's that, a dark place. What's your theory on the way they got this look? I'm, I'm guessing that they're not digitally color processing this footage. So, I mean, I, I kind of think that, you know, just because of like the era this takes place in, I'm kind of thinking that they gelled all the lights for daylight and used tungsten color temperature film or something yeah it seemed that way to me or maybe just like filtered the lens with a blue filter yeah i mean it would it would have to be a technique that would seem fairly alien to us right now because the thing about video production at the moment is like you don't want to bake anything into your footage that you can't remove later and so you want to shoot a super clean version that you can fuck around with uh, yeah like when I was in college, uh, a friend of mine directed a film that he wanted to shoot on black and white, and it was like, it was really hard to even find black and white film stock at that point because, I mean, even um, even films that are shot now that come out in black and white typically are shot on color and then right and then desaturated in post, and. Uh, and and the fact that he like got enough thirty five millimeter film to shoot a film on black and white was like really tricky and hard to do, you know. And that was like the early part of the era of you never want to like make a decision in production that you can't change in post, you right. know. <laughs> like it, this, I think this television show was shot in the era of you know what you want it to look like in the end and. Many of those things have to happen in camera when you make the show. Yeah, and and personally, that's just a terrifying idea to consider, really. (laughs) Yeah, you're stuck with it, man. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you got to be so sure. Yeah, and, and, uh, you know, 
fortunately, it works out with great success because I think the look really holds. It does not look like you can really overdo this effect uh, to yeah. its detriment. And, uh, and I think it's just right. If you watch a episode of, say, Vanderpump Rules, they go for something similar. That is one of the sickest wow. times. Fully bedazzled. And it looks terrible every single time. I'll never forgive you for exposing me to that show, Ben, during my <laughs> most recent visit to your home. Because everyone knows the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is a superior show to Vanderpump Rules. No, and that's a hill no, I will die no. on. Boy, I, I, that's, that is a hard disagree, Adam. I think that I think that Vanderpump is a better show in almost every way. It's better produced. The storylines are much more entertaining. Oh, come on. The, the characters are dumber in funner ways. <laughs> There's not enough Lisa Vanderpump, though. I'm passionate about dogs, just not crazy about bitches. She's kind of the Picard of Vanderpump rules. Like, <laughs> like if, if, if there was a series where Picard was just a lieutenant on a ship somewhere, that's who she is in Real Housewives. But on Vanderpump Rules, she is she is the captain. She's the one making all the like all the moral calls at the end of the day. <laughs> you know, she fucking hates Stasi. I, I think this checks out. Yeah. You've convinced me. <laughs> well, this has been a another exciting episode of the Greatest Pump. Tune in <laughs> next week for the next one. Oh yeah, that that'd make for a great supporters only up. <laughs> yeah, wait if we uh if we really do something special with our pledge drive, we'll we'll do a greatest pump app. <laughs> we'll dedicate it to our Jim Shimoda people. Hell yeah. So we're here in the past, and so is Golducat, the prefect of Terak Nor. He's the head Cardassian, and he is giving Odo a gig. He does not appear to be more youthful than modern Dukat, which leads me to believe that maybe uh, Kardashian don't crash. (laughs) It's only five years ago. (laughs) Why would he have crashed in the meantime? I don't know. Look, it's just a theory that I came up with, all right? (laughs) We've got got, uh, five more seasons to see if, uh, if Kardashian does crash. Mm. as they age and uh i'm gonna believe that they don't okay fair enough well <laughs> you're not gonna be combing gold ducat's ear hair that's what i'm here to say yeah well i don't think that uh i don't think that most aliens age in that kind of at that kind of a rapid pace but uh i'm just here in the cheap seats adam i don't know <laughs> flashback to i certainly do like i look at pictures of myself five years ago and i'm like jesus christ i have really Started to look shitty. Yeah, I agree. Uh, this life has not been kind. <laughs> Flashback Ducat wants Odo to help with a murder investigation because uh, Ducat sort of kicked back in this room uh, using a dead body as an ottoman <laughs> that he then like he then pulls the blanket off of and he's like, I need your help to investigate who killed this guy. I can't be the one to do it because none of these Bajorans are going to talk to me. They'll talk yeah. to you, though, because you're sort of a neutral party. You're like a gooey Switzerland. <laughs> yeah, Odo is is not seen as affiliated 
with any particular group of Bajorans or with the Cardassians, so he can he can he can get honest answers out of people. Also, so, Ducat says he'll kill ten random Bajorans if he doesn't do it. So that <laughs> that helps that helps Odo become a little more interested in this project than he was before. Does that he really say that? Happened. I totally missed that. Yeah. Man. Yeah, he's like, you know, normally I would just kill 10 Bajorans as an example. Uh, you know, that usually gets people talking. But I think I might go the Yoda way this time, the peaceful way. Man, uh, Gold Ducat is, uh, he doesn't get enough credit for being a, uh, a magnanimous leader. He's low-key violent, though. I like right. that about him. Yeah, he's like a, uh, he's kind of a, a Genghis Khan type. Where he's, there's like things about him that are like really progressive, but also he's got a massive <laughs> body count. <laughs> yeah, there's it's a like, lot yeah, to like, like about him. I'm going to introduce a written language. Sure, I'm going to civilize places and and like let them let their armies join my armies. Sure, but I'm also going to do a lot of like burning villages to the ground and killing everybody in them. Uh, so we get a couple of characters that show up in these past scenes, one of whom is the film noir lady from the first scene. This is Mrs. Vatrick, and she's the widow of the dead guy Ottoman that we uh, saw a moment ago. She's styled so differently that I was unsure if she was the same lady or not. Yeah. I had to rewind and see, like, what were they calling her? What's is this yeah. actor the same... The makeup and the styling is different, and and uh, the lighting doesn't help either. It does definitely obscure who she is. And it's yeah. context clues that, that were the only reason that, that I was able to put it together. I think um, that the is, thing that they needed to do was have her have the same earring in both scenes. Like, if the earring... Yeah. Because the earring is very distinctive in the first scene, and it's like a pretty unremarkable Bajoran earring in the, in the, in the past. Right. And I don't think it needs to be the super modern looking one from the first scene but something that is that distinct would have helped us as an audience see like this is the same character right right so what she's what she's telling odo is that uh, her husband had been cheating on her and uh even though that had happened killing him is not something that he would ever do but who he thinks killed him uh is a lady having a lunch alone over there, and who she points to is Ponytail Edition Major Kira. Oh, man. As the other woman. Very exciting to see. Yeah, I mean, you can't really blame uh, Vatrick for for falling for Ponytail Kira, who is just incredibly fetching with that ponytail. I mean, like, shame on him for stepping out on his lovely wife, but also, eh, (laughs) that's Ponytail. (laughs) There, there was a ponytail involved <laughs> and so like what's interesting about these flashbacks is that Odo in very rapid succession begins his investigation by talking to three three people most involved in it like moments apart yeah. he talks to uh, Dukat he talks to Vatrick and then he just sits down and talks to Kira in front of Vatrick basically right and it's like like they literally like rack focus to her <laughs> talk about the fact that Kara was hanging out with this woman's husband and it's like whoa she was right there <laughs> yeah it had to be awkward for Kira but Kira does not seem to pay it any mind or her she's uh Kira is a really steely-eyed person in this era like i 
it's it's fun to see Nana Visitor play with what that character was going through in the Cardassian era because it's really different. Like her, it's the same Major Kira, but it, with a very different set of wants and needs and a very different way of interacting with people and. Uh, you know, a very different relationship with Odo, you know? Like, this is the first time they ever exchange words. Pretty girl like you shouldn't be eating alone. I don't do whatever it is you want. Not for money, not for food. No, you misunderstand. I'm sorry. I was impressed with how Born to Get Hard edition Major Kira is not totally dissimilar from modern era Major Kira. Like, those hard edges are, are very subtly rounded off. Right. She's the same amount of haunted. Yeah, and uh, I think that's a testament to her skills as an actor. Yeah, good choice as a, a character creator, too. Like, I don't want to hear about her being, like, this great redemption story. Like, she's still very much holding on to this past that she's got. Right. So so let's uh, let's say, like, where we are in the mystery at this point, because it, it was a little tricky to keep track of. Vatrix's husband, he dead. She has fingered Kira as the person that she thinks might be to blame. Kira has an alibi in that she is here on the station looking for work and trying to get a job at the Ferengi bar, right? Yeah, a an alibi that in the form of Quark, who corroborates this for a moment. For a moment. And then like back in the present, like we check in a couple of times and it's like Odo putting the screws to Rom saying like, hey, listen, your brother is clinging to life because of what you guys dug out of that wall. Like, what did you see on the list? Like, Clear your mind of everything in it, if there's anything there. And all we know is that it's eight names, and the first letter of each name are B-E-N-G-H-A-Z-I. <laughs> So that's uh, that's what the mystery is. I'm just saying, what happened to those emails, Ben? Right. Yeah. If if anybody has those emails, if you're listening, Russia. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. I'm fucking a pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. I don't use the bucket anymore. We cut back to modern DS9, and Odo is still plunking away at his log. And he expresses the idea that this case he never closed five years ago is now a hot case. It's no longer cold. What was once cold is now hot. <laughs> and yeah, so he like he travels to Bajor. He uh, is interviewing Vatrick. Like, why why these names? Why why eight names? Why those specific letters? What does it mean? Why would he hide it in a wall? Why did you pay Cork now to steal it? She's sticking to the story that it's a sentimental item and she wants to help, but she's not going to, she doesn't know the name that he tries, you know, they have like a half remembered name from the list and it doesn't mean anything to her as far as she's willing to admit. And so Odo heads out and he's uh, at the door and he turns around and he fucking actually Columbo's her. Oh, listen, there's one other thing I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, it's pretty great. It, it feels like a definite wink at the viewer here. Yeah, which is fun. If this investigation kicking off depends on on Rom recalling a fragment of a name on this list, 
Rom's got to be able to read, right? <laughs> and not only read, but read Bajoran. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting bit of character for him that they really just sort of glossed over for the sake of story expediency. Mm. Because so much is made of Nog being unable to read. Like, I, I got to feel that uh, that Rom has got to be, like, in the upper echelon of Ferengi education for that to be true. Yeah, what are the Ferengi values surrounding literacy? I guess they're only tied to profit, so that, like, in order to work on a, on that station, I bet that would be a very profitable skill set to have. Yeah, but, like, is Nag illiterate entirely, or is he only illiterate in English? Is that what's going on? Is Jake just teaching him to read a different alphabet? God, I don't know. I feel like we're very in the weeds now. <laughs> well, the thing that's getting columboed here is that Odo has pulled her uh, her utility bill and found that she had her power cut off, but she recently paid the power company. So what's going on? She says, oh, yeah, a friend loaned me some money to cover my energy bill. And I'm going to keep their name private, my goopy friend. Right on the heels of this scene, the name that Rom tells Odo is like, begins with a C and ends in an O. Like Chiso, Chizo, Cheez-It. Cheeto. Like he, he goes through some things and it, it's it doesn't really... definitely not Cheetara. Right. But, uh, but one thing that happens not long after is, uh, is someone named Chisaro ends up dying in a pond on their own property. Mulray had salt water in his lungs. And this is just after Odo has this conversation with Vatrick. So it seems a little suspect yeah. that, uh, that, that this list of people has a person on it that has just recently wound up dead. Yeah, like Kira lays this on him and he feels really guilty about it. He's like, shit, I should not have let that name slip through my lips because she probably pointed a finger and had that guy offed. All of the signs are pointing to Vatrick at this point as the as the killer, like both on the cold case and on being behind what happened to Quark. One thing that really rides for the idea that Odo is terrible at security is that <laughs> as soon as anyone involved in an investigation sh- turns up dead, or maybe, I don't know, has had an attempt made on their life, you should probably put a guard at their six bay room <laughs> and cork just uh exists in a coma state uh with no one around basically and uh, i think it's at this point that odo's like oh man we should put a guard on that guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah good thinking odo i hope nobody comes in with flowers later and plunges a knife through that guard's chest <laughs> so back in the past adam Odo is talking to Quark, and this is like old-time Quark's bar. It's it's a lot more spare than contemporary Quark's bar, a lot more Cardassian iconography around. Quark does not yet know that Odo doesn't drink. I guess that's why we don't see you around here much. Odo is like, I heard that that hot lady with the ponytail has, has an alibi with you, and Quark is like, she has more than an alibi, buddy. We banged. It's a thought that just gives me the chills. Yeah. 
I was half asleep for most of this episode on the edge of my seat for this scene. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? What? <laughs> no. I don't believe this. Fortunately, it's not true. It's uh, it's it's pretty quickly revealed that this was uh, a an alibi that Kira paid Quark to maintain for her uh, because she was uh, she was doing some dirt there on the station. You'd think that as Kira was counseling Quark on this alibi and the details of it, she would take great care in saying, like, at no point should you mention in constructing this alibi that you and I slept together because no one would believe that. <laughs> Keep it believable, Quark, and, uh, and try to avoid any mention of us having a romantic relationship. Quark did not get the memo there. Yeah. And uh, I think that was the point that Odo... Uh, was unable to suspend his disbelief. This is one of a couple scenes where Odo is in the process of extracting a key piece of evidence for his case when Gul Dukat just like walks in having apparently overheard everything and goes like, okay, cool, so we're arresting Kira, right? And and Odo goes like, no, 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 like this is, I just found one thing out. Like we don't, we don't know everything yet. Not ready to make an arrest. This is a really interesting effect because it, it made me it made me think of this more in terms of a memory than an actual factual log of events that we were mm. watching. Yeah. Because according to Odo's memory, the feeling that Ducat was over his shoulder just at all times, constantly threatening, it was interesting to see that play out actually and not like metaphorically. Right. Which is how memory works for a lot of people. Yeah, is is it actual or is it metaphoric, but via the metaphor of memory? Yeah, and I and I really appreciated that it was not made clear, and and I just chose to interpret it as, you know, a fearful memory that that heightens the tension. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So I think th so. The next scene is the present, and Odo has cracked the code of what the list is. He's found the eight names, and they are eight people that suddenly Vatrick's uh, phone records show she has been in pretty constant communication with, like eight eight phone numbers that she never called in the weeks and years before the attempted murder of Quark to now being in constant communication with these eight people. We're finding out so much about Bajor in this episode. Yeah. Maybe most importantly, there are no burners on Bajor. <laughs> because either Vatrick is just an idiot or or technologically she, uh, her attempts at, yeah. at obfuscation are being stifled. Yeah. What's, what's wrong, Vatrick? You can't go to a Metro PCS and get a fucking prepaid? Yeah. Give me a break. <laughs> and uh, it is. it begins to be discussed that these eight names are the names of eight people that were collaborators. They were Bajoran, ba like Vichy Bajorans, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of a dark thought. I didn't even consider the possibility of this being a thing. Yeah. I mean, you know. There's always people that are out for a buck, I guess. Yeah, like after the Cardassians bugged out, you know, these guys had a fairly soft landing in the aftermath. They're they're living in, in palatial estates. 
Yeah, palatial estates ornate with gates that automate so those you hate can only spectate. Right, and (laughs) what's clear upon the list being found is that Vatrick is attempting to uh, extort the people on this list. It's blackmail, Ben. It's blackmail most foul, and Odo brings this information to Cisco and Dax and uh, gets the gets the permission he needs to uh to pursue Vatrick and you know bring her to the station so that he can level this accusation against her and he walks out of Quark's bar and there is the sneaky Bajoran guy that was in the shadows in her house and who shot Quark and uh he is uh he's here back in Quark's bar drinking the blue drink of surreptitious eavesdropping <laughs> more 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 Odo's security logs are getting so hard boiled. (laughs) Yeah, they start with him being just derisive of the idea, and now they're like, "In the naked city, there are eight million stories." (laughs) 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 So he's so fucking in love with his own brutal style of prose. He are these thoughts appropriate for a Starfleet log? I don't care. <laughs> he doesn't want to do it, but he turns out being the best at it. It's great. It's so much it. fun. One of the things we find out around this time is that Kira's alibi was about covering up her sabotage, which she was there to do, and not about covering up a murder she didn't commit. Yeah. She was there a- uh, she was there wearing her sabot. <laughs> around a sensitive part of Deep Space Nine and then uh, and then flung them into the machine. <laughs> That's the one thing you don't want to do on Terok Noor, Ben, is let anyone on board who's wearing their sabot. Mm. You can have a real bad time. Yeah, those gears are going to grind to a halt. But this is another alibi for the murder, right? Yeah, and it's double alibi. It's the alibi behind the alibi. Right. And she couldn't have done the murder because she was too busy blowing shit up, you know, giving the uh, giving the mine workers a couple of weeks off because they got to got to rebuild the machines. And that's like it's like she has just divulged that to Odo when again Gul Dukat bursts into the room. Is this her? I told you when I have the name. Is this her? Man, it's fun to think that... Uh, Gul Dukat got this close two different times to taking Major Kira out off the board and uh, out of his life. And instead, he's got six seasons of television to look forward to her kicking his ass. There is a lot of grabbing people by the arm in this episode. And that starts Well, it here. just goes to match with other the previous episode. And there was a lot of grabbing people by the ass. Yeah. Yeah, this is a grabby season. It's very grabby. Ben, one thing I I wanted to drop in this episode, and I don't know if this is the place, is that uh, there was a scene that was cut out of it. Really? And that scene involves Dukat and Vatrick's relationship, which was sexual. Damn. And it is one of the main regrets of both the Dukat character and this episode specifically is that how that would have changed the context of the mystery had you known that they were having an affair throughout. What do you think Cardassian Dong looks like? 
Well, I think it's just got a great big shaft, uh, <laughs> given given what their necks look like. <laughs> you think it like comes in off the? It's like much wider at the base than it is at the tip. It has an extremely flared base. <laughs> it's like a bouncy horse. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, what do you think Bajoran Vag looks like? Does it got little little ridges? Yeah, I think. Do you think uh, the hood has the same? Does it pick up the same pattern as the nose? I think that's it exactly. Yeah, it's a ridged <laughs> hood. The canoe has ridges. <laughs> Still can't find that little man. Yeah. <laughs> Look under the ridges, Jeremy. My contractor came over here uh, yesterday, <laughs> and uh, we were talking about another another project at the house, and. Uh, Part of the project scope involved the using of a stud finder, and he had a stud finder that was not battery powered, or or sophisticated in any way. But instead, it was like a round piece of plastic with a plastic nubbin attached to a magnet, so that when you ran it over a nail head, it stuck straight out. But it didn't st- <laughs> like it didn't stick out hardly at all. Like it, <laughs> this contractor was like, yeah, I just call it my little bean. And, so, so, and I looked at it and I looked back at him and I was like, this doesn't look like anything to me. <laughs> I know not of which you refer. So look out for that on our, on our merch tables on tour. <laughs> the Greatest Generation branded bean style stud finder. Now, if you're building an apartment, you're going to want to use a 16-on-center nailing schedule <laughs> to put up your drywall. You're going to want to install all your electrical before you put up the board. <laughs> We're using if- an eight-penny eight hot-dip galvanized nail, just in case any water gets behind the stud. It won't corrode and cause any damage to your wall. If for some reason... You want to install some wiring after the fact. You're going to want to use a stud finder. (laughs) I call this stud finder my little nubbin. (laughs) (laughs) So back to the present. We've got an armed guard stationed around the infirmary where Quark is clinging to life by his fingernails. It's the new guy though, right? Yeah, it's totally the new guy, and like a Bajoran red shirt, he buys it pretty quickly. The the sneaky dude that's been slinking in the shadows and drinking all the blue drinks comes in and uses a bouquet of flowers to obscure a knife, and he, uh, he knifes the guy through the chest and then is going to do the pillow over the face to kill Quark, which... Um, <laughs> He, uh, he doesn't account for the idea that somebody else might wander in, and that somebody else happens to be Rom. Rom, the human car alarm, <laughs> who just starts wailing. Yeah. And it turns into a Star Trek fight of Bajoran on Rom. And, like, because Rom has been make- raising such a ruckus, the security people are in there pretty quickly. And uh, Odo's like, great job, Rom. You saved your brother's life. And uh, Rom's like, great, cool. And then Odo kind of like, and therefore, you don't inherit the bar, Rom. Yeah, like, making him feel bad about it. (laughs) 
you think they tell this guy's family how he died? I think you probably omit some some facts to the circumstances, don't you? Killed by flowers. Anonymous Bajoran security guy story. Yeah, fun. Last couple scenes here. Viatric comes up to the station in her in her best 1920s flapper costume, and they take her into Odo's brig, and she takes a look at her little buddy who's been going around doing all the all the wet work, and she says, I don't know who that is, and they're like, yeah, but come on, you definitely do, and we have all of your phone records and everything, so we're pretty sure we know how this how this ties up, and uh, why don't you get to know your, your friend by uh, taking the cell right across from his? Yeah, it appears justice has been served. does indeed. She says her her last line is, you'll never be able to prove that I killed my husband because I didn't. Yeah, that's left up into the air as we cut to a scene with Odo and Kira. They head out to uh, the, the front office of the, the security area, and he's like, hey, listen, like, when you figured out, you know, when you did the math on that wrong name that Ram remembered from the list, uh, it kind of kind of made me suspicious and now I know the truth. It wasn't you doing the bombing. It was you doing the murdering of Vatrick's husband. Vatrick's husband was the dude that the collaborators used to communicate with Ducat. I really like the restraint that the episode had in not flashing back to this moment either. Yeah. Because the conflict between them is is in retrospect, but it's also in the present. And everything that matters is happening in the present. Like, I don't need to go back to see that. And I think if we did go back and see it, we would think of Kira very differently in a way that I don't want to think of her, you know? Well, I mean, she did a murder, right? But she did a murder of an enemy combatant, essentially. Right. As a member of the Resistance, she's at war. And one thing that's interesting about this show is that it is has dealt a lot so far with what the gray areas are surrounding war. Like there's a Cardassian way of thinking about the occupation that it wasn't a war at all. There was never a war. And Kira is uh, an example of the opposite way of thinking. Yeah. I mean, you can forgive her actions because it's show war and not show friend. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, like this is uh a pretty intense scene between the two of them and and it is Odo looking Kira in the eye and saying, I know what you did. I don't think it's right, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I love that Kira pleads with him over whether or not he can trust her and he does not say anything. Like, it just hangs. It's pretty and- intense. It made me think a lot about, like, uh, this was a foundational moment in their friendship, and that was a lie. How do you recover from that? I don't know, man. I mean, yeah. I think some people can and some people can't. It's like when I finally tell you that I've never really liked Star Trek and have not seen a <laughs> single episode, even for any of the podcasts. <laughs> you just read the, the Wikipedia been, recaps? This has one, been one of the great exercises in improvisation ever. Man. You are stone cold, dude. Yeah. And seen. <laughs> really led me down the primrose path. <laughs> Did you like this episode? 
Before we talk about whether I like this episode, Adam, I have one thing that I feel I must bring up. Okay. What is this? What the hell is the point of writing down the names of all the collaborators on a slip of hotel stationery, <laughs> folding it in half, putting it in a box, and then sealing that box behind a bulkhead? <laughs> like, why? Why would you need to ever do that? It is so dumb. That is the worst OPSEC you could possibly imagine. The only reason to keep a list is for it to be found later. Right. Like, like all the all the parties involved know who all the other parties are. They don't yeah. need it. And like the idea that you could use the fact that this list exists to blackmail the people is also stupid because it's like okay, that's eight names on a piece of paper. It doesn't tie us to anything. Like fuck off. I don't owe you shit. Yeah. So that's a a thought that I had the second I understood what the mystery was about. This was an episode that I really liked, but that as a thing, like as the MacGuffin, is incredibly hard to take. You, In order to like the episode, you have to forgive that. Yeah. Because it is so important. We did an episode with our, our buddy Ben Fritz for Greatest Discovery uh, that came out a couple weeks ago as of this recording. And... Uh, and 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 he he talked about like how Christopher Nolan movies are really fun to watch, but then if you ever think about like any of the any of the plot beats critically later, you're like, what? Like, how was that the plan? And right. that's kind of how I felt about this episode. It's like as fun as a Christopher Nolan, and also kind of falls apart under under scrutiny in the same way. Vatrick never holds up as a as a femme fatale in the truest sense because femme fatales are always incredibly intelligent yeah, and their choices make sense and uh, Vatrix does not which is yeah. unfortunate would you say it's fatal to her status as a femme fatale probably <laughs> well Adam do you want to see if we have some uh, priority one messages to entertain ourselves with yeah we gotta do that Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first priority one message is of a commercial nature. It goes like this. Chuckle Levers is a new podcast in which the Guardian's wonderful Sashin Nakrani and perennial drunk Shimoda Stephen Chicken meet amazing guests in a London pub to discuss and dissect their favorite TV comedy shows. The first two episodes cover The King of Queens and Father Ted with Fraser, IT Crowd, Peep Show, Friends, and plenty more lined up for future episodes. Googly-eyed, Odo-esque eavesdropping not required... Guaranteed at least 40% as entertaining as The Greatest Generation, asterisk. Not a guarantee. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you come up with that percentage there, guys. <laughs> I, th- this sounds great. I love many of these shows. And uh, I would love to drink the blue drink of surreptitious eavesdropping to listen in in that pub. Yeah, absolutely. 
So search for Chuckle Lovers on your podcast service of choice and follow at Chuckle Lovers Pod on Twitter. Tell them DeSoto sent you. I want to be clear on that Twitter handle. Uh, so the name of the show is Chuckle Lovers, but the the Twitter oh. handle is Chuck Lovers Pod. So it's C H U C K L O V E R S P O D. Okay. Hopefully Chuck that Lovers clears Pod. up some uh, some confusion. Fair enough. I'm uh, I'm like three ciders in at this point, so I'm I'm not doing a great job of reading copy. <laughs> no, you're doing great. Ben, our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It is from... And also, like, I am really sorry if I mispronounced Mr. Nakrani's first name, because... Or last name, (laughs) to be honest. I can't believe you mispronounced that name, Ben. I don't know if if we have not mispronounced any names at this point. We have a 100% failure rate on names. Yeah. Occasionally we'll get like criticized for being real assholes for mispronouncing somebody's name it is there's not been episodes personal. where we've mispronounced our own name in the open <laughs> happens all the time yeah ben our second priority one message is of a personal nature it is from ben it is for benjamin r r and adam message goes like this i was going through a real tough time in life feeling really shitty life felt overwhelming and terrifying but when you two started talking about Sirach Lofton's clearly visible child's moose knuckle and battle lines, I just couldn't <laughs> stop laughing. <laughs> I just want to say thanks, and next time you come to the Bay Area, hopefully I won't miss the show. Well, thanks for saying that, Ben. I think, uh, I think Benjamin R. and I pride ourselves on being the foremost knuck-trek connoisseurs. <laughs> and, uh, and I do remember that episode because we do go... I think we go... For a pretty tight five minutes on Sirach Lofton's knuck in that episode. A uh, troubling amount of time spent, certainly. Yeah, a troubling amount of knuck. Uh. Uh, thanks so much for saying that we got you through a bad time, too. Uh, that uh, Rest assured, we will be coming back to the Bay Area. The Bay uh, Area is one of our, one of big, our favorite areas. Our, our, it's one of, the, one of the biggest places for us, and... Uh, I think we're basically looking at like, like plan on us being there at least every twelve months. Yeah, if not more often than that. I think that's something we can stick with. Thanks to both of our P one messages. If you're interested in us reading a message of either the commercial or, per- or personal kind, you can go to maximumfun.org/jumbotron, where personal messages are one hundred dollars and commercial messages are two hundred dollars. Uh, they are a great way to help the ongoing production of our show. Thanks, guys. Ben, I'm just sort of picking you up and throwing you over my back and, and taking you through the end of those P1s. <laughs> We're going to get you through this, man. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you 
an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVS. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVS for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVS. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I think the Shimoda this episode can go to no one else besides Rom. It's a fairly dark uh, subject. And a dark place we spend time in throughout the episode, but the but the two moments of levity for me was when uh, when Ram is being interrogated at about the eleven minute mark, uh-huh. and he does a really fun line reading uh, that I think is great. There, he's like, "Ooh, the ironies!" Like like he's very <laughs> arch there in a way that I don't think he he is very often. But also that car alarm scream that he lets off at the end is 
is coming from an actor who is clearly having the most fun. So it's rum <laughs> for me. Uh, what about you? Well, Adam, this is a bit of an edge case daily double. And also just uh, an unusual turn of events in Drunk Shimoda history. I'm giving it to both Rom and the Bajoran murderer guy. <laughs> I, I'm giving a double Shimoda this episode. Um, and it is because of the scene in which the murderer guy kills the guard and is like about to kill Quark and Rom comes in. Like... I, if I'm the judge sitting on the bench when this case comes in, I'm sending them both to Overactors Anonymous. <laughs> the, the, the Bajoran murderer guy is so distractingly overacting. I was laughing my head off when he, you know, very like archly presses a bunch of buttons on the on the bio bed that Cork is on and then grabs the pillow and very like super sincerely starts pushing it over Quark's face like already totally like pegging the needle on the ridiculous factor and and then Rom walks in and starts shrieking like holy fucking shit that scene is the most ridiculous like their direction is just really explore the space both (laughs) physically and emotionally here you guys and this is like take 30 yeah like, uh, yeah, they got the, the classic, yeah, get, give me like 20% more. <laughs> Again. Again, 20% more. Again. You do that thing as a director that's like, that was great. Let's go again. <laughs> Fun. What do we have coming up on the next ep, Ben? The next episode is season two, episode nine, Second Sight. Cisco falls in love for the first time since his wife's death. But the object of his affections may not be all that she seems. Hmm. 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 Should I see what it says on Netflix also? Are you saying we're not going to get a straight-ahead love story this time? (laughs) Where everything works out okay? Just two people that are pretty well matched for each other. (laughs) Kind of fall in love and it goes pretty good. They're just trying to make it work. I mean, they they both made some sacrifices along the way. Man, the Netflix description is so on for Netflix's policy of only describing the first scene. It is, on the fourth anniversary of his wife's death, Cisco takes a melancholy late-night stroll along the promenade. <laughs> Imagine if that was 45 mil- minutes of television, Adam. Like, think about the <laughs> writing challenge of, it's all set on the promenade, 45 real-time minutes of Cisco walking around wishing his wife was still alive. Go. Does anyone ever jog the promenade in the way that they jog Discovery? Because I would like to know it's, like, in practical terms, not in, like, measured terms. Like, do people use it like a track? I would would say that Kira and Dax are the only people watching their their figure on this show. Right. Uh, Tomatoes are a great source of lycopene. (laughs) Ben, uh, do you want to see if we are going to do the next episode in a special way? I do. Uh, So we're on square 22 on the game of buttholes, the will of the prophets. I'll roll the dice this time. What do you say? Do it. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. And I've rolled a four. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Move on to square 26, and we are 
really close to a Naked Now episode. <laughs> of, of course, uh, the Naked Now would be a an eventuality in which Adam and I both have to draw a bath and then record pod from the bathtub. <laughs> One of the most shameful squares on, on the game, and I... Uh, <laughs> There is no amount of echo filter that's going to make that listenable, by the way. <laughs> like, both in terms of the amount of shame that you will hear, uh, the shivering that you'll hear by, by minute 40, I would bet, and, uh, and also the, the tile echo that you'll no doubt hear throughout. Yeah. Well, I know, I, I know we'll hear some tile echo, Adam, but... Uh, I've I've been to both of our houses, and I know that we both have pretty small bathrooms. So it's not exactly like we have echoey, cavernous bathrooms to worry about. You're really you're really coming to the defense of this idea, Ben. That's very admirable. <laughs> if Roderick can do it, we can too. One group that comes to our defense week in week out uh, are legion of viewers. Uh, talks about our show take place in a number of areas. Pages like those on Facebook, hashtags like those on Twitter, using the hashtag GreatestGen. Yeah, and you can follow Adam at Cut for Time and me at Benjamin R A H R. And uh, if you missed the Max Fun Drive, I bet I bet like today, the day of the release of this episode, you could make a pledge and sneak in under the wire if you send an email to. Uh, to the folks at MaximumFun.org and just say you missed it. But to all the people that already supported us during the, the pledge drive, we really greatly appreciate everything that you have done for us. It has changed our lives. Uh, it is a totally amazing experience to make a show like this and have it mean enough to enough people that uh, something like this happens. It's crazy. Yeah, and for for so many people to approve of the show in such a way that they that they demand through their support that it continue uh, yeah. is a is a thing that fills fills me with uh, an amount of gratitude I never thought I would have, and uh, and an equal and opposing amount of shame, given that both given of us what, may what end up in a about. bathtub soon. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like we both we started this in our in our 30s and neither of us i think ever had any designs on this becoming something that like we're primarily known for you and i had both given up by that point of achieving any amount of success in any area so especially so. like the kind of success where you like go on stage and make jokes for a living like that what a crazy life we le- have led <laughs> to have this happen so suddenly at this point in our lives and uh, it's all thanks to you guys and your support so thanks so much for that it really is uh, our thanks to the great folks at MaximumFun.org who have helped out so much too along the way our deep thank you to Dark Materia for our original theme song and to Adam Mercusia who is uh, the architect of so much of the music you hear on the show and with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine, that uh, just really needs to take a long walk, I guess. <laughs>
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.